Okay, hello everyone. Um, I'm Kylie and I'm an officer in the U.S. Army Medical Service Corps. So uh, before I begin, I just need to clarify that uh, the opinions expressed in this presentation are my own. I'm not speaking on behalf of the U.S. Army uh, or the Department of Defense. <laughs> so medicalization is a socio-cultural process that defines problems as medical disorders and treats them with medical interventions. Medicalization has increasingly controlled natural life processes, especially women's life cycles, and has expanded the definitions of deviant behavior to the point where over half of the United States population qualifies for a category of diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM for short. As critics have attested, medicalization privileges medical expertise at the expense of removing agency from the patient, as the quote on the slide demonstrates. On that slide. Um, additionally, labeling behavior and attitudes that fall outside the realm of constructed normality as mental disorders is inherently problematic. However, such constructions grant suffering veterans access to treatments and compensation through the bureaucracy known as the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, or the VA. Even though labels and categories are bureaucratically necessary for suffering veterans to receive treatment from the VA, the diagnostic criteria established as a result of medicalizing post-traumatic stress disorder, hereafter referred to as PTSD, unnecessarily excludes women's veterans' experiences by aligning with male standards. Complicating the issue, the medical establishment claims women are over twice as likely to develop PTSD, but the vast majority of recovery resources are tailored towards men. In this presentation, I will explore these contradictions that plague PTSD discourses and propose ways to more effectively address social issues and women's lived experiences in PTSD diagnostic criteria and treatments. As there are many layers to this very complicated issue, allow me to first contextualize PTSD within the history of psychological effects of combat trauma and its medicalization. The First World War witnessed the presentation of shell shock, a term that implied a chemical imbalance following a physical stimulus, such as an artillery bombardment in the trenches. Eventually, the mental hygiene movement and Freud's designation of the unconscious as a space free of social judgment encouraged explanations that, that shell shock was the manifestation of soldiers' internal conflicts between duty and fear, or their suppression of wartime memories. Psychiatrists who had served in World War I pushed for the inclusion of a gross stress reaction in the first edition of the DSM in 1952. In the Second World War, Army screened recruits for susceptibility to mental instability, but the vast number of psychiatric casualties that followed prompted psychiatrists to turn to environmental causation theories that explained combat exhaustion, or battle fatigue, as a result of the external stimulus of long combat operations. Treatments were also oriented around restructuring families, as psychiatrists theorized that women back home had disrupted military men's masculinity, and consequentially, the nation's masculinity, by infiltrating the workplace and unsettling family structures. In later conflicts, military psychiatrists were deployed to every unit, psychiatric rates decreased, and there was no entry of gross stress reaction in the second edition of the DSM in 1968. However, delayed reactions to warfare stresses appeared after the Vietnam War, a conflict characterized by guerrilla fighting and soldiers' reservations about national goals. At the same time, the rise of biomedicine validated psychiatry and kick-started medicalizing processes. In 1980, a group of medical professionals and Vietnam veterans successfully pushed for the inclusion of PTSD following a stressor outside the range of such common experiences in the third edition of the DSM. The PTSD entry emphasized an etiological event, 
not an individual weakness or neurosis, and downplayed distinctions between combat and non-combat trauma, thereby affording eligibility to more women veterans for PTSD diagnoses based on traumas outside of battle, such as sexual assault. After three revisions, the current PTSD diagnostic criteria in the fifth edition of the DSM require the experience of a significant trauma depicted in point A and the presence of the symptoms listed in clusters B through E for more than one month. Today, it is estimated that 10 to 18% of veterans from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, conflicts marked by unexpected deployment extensions and long combat operations, develop PTSD each year. More broadly, the VA estimates that 8% of, of men and 20% of women who experience a traumatic event will develop PTSD. But this statistic deserves some critique, along with various contradictions in PTSD discourses. Certain social conditions contribute to higher rates of PTSD in women, such as women's increased likelihood to self-report psychiatric issues, seek out care, and experience military sexual trauma. But medicalized reasoning that privileges men's biology and lists the female gender as a risk factor for PTSD often conceals these social issues. Medicalization has also expanded women's assumed vulnerability to multiple psychiatric disorders beyond PTSD. One study reported that 44% of women with PTSD met the criteria for three or more psychiatric diagnoses over their lifetimes. Medical professionals unsurprisingly misdiagnose women with mental disorders more often than men, which critics view as the medicalization of the self-destructive feelings and behaviors that women are socialized to experience and act out. One of the most troubling contradictions in the medicalization of mental health issues is that although women are diagnosed with mental disorders more often than men, diagnostic standards and recovery tools are still tailored to men. Army policy emphasizes the, important of the importance of clinician interviews in PTSD diagnoses, but the PTSD checklist, or the PCL, is a commonly used screening tool. The PCL has civilian, military, and specific versions that ask participants to rate questions on a one to five scale. These questions are shown on the screen and each correspond to a DSM criterion for PTSD. Following male Vietnam veterans' experiences, a final summation score over 50 warrants a positive screening of PTSD in military personnel. However, studies have found that a cut score between 30 and 38 more accurately captures PTSD in women veterans, concluding that core PTSD symptoms contributed more to the prediction score for women than for men. While it is dangerous to generalize along gender lines, these studies at the very least show that excluding women from the process of forming diagnostic criteria can lead to the establishment of male standards that then deny su some suffering women access to care and benefits. Notably, women have been excluded from the establishment of diagnostic criteria for many disorders, as the Federal Drug Administration only removed the ban preventing women from participating in drug safety tests due to concerns about fetal exposure in 1993. In addition to exclusion from diagnostic criteria, more obstacles impede women veterans' access to PTSD treatments and VA compensations. A 2013 report titled Battle for Benefits by the American Civil Liberties Union and the Service Women's Action Network found that the grant rate for military sexual trauma-related PTSD claims has lagged behind the grant rate for other PTSD claims by between 16.5 and 29.6 percentage points each year from 2008 to 2012. This disparately impacts female veterans whose PTSD claims are more often based on military sexual trauma related PTSD than male veterans' PTSD claims. Moreover, despite standardized policies, treatment of military sexual trauma related PTSD claims varied widely from one VA regional office to another. The VA has pledged to improve the shortcomings found in this report, but more progress needs to be made, especially in allocating resources 
for women veterans with PTSD and their families. The veteran in this picture is First Sergeant Seth Castle, who wrote the book he is holding. Uh, it's called Why Is Dad So Mad, if you can't read it. Um, and he wrote it after realizing that uh, kids whose parents are afflicted with PTSD have very few resources to explain it to them. And um, in Castle's words, quote, there are very few resources available for fathers who struggle with PTS, but there is nothing I found that addresses this issue for mothers. Given PTSD discourse's various contradictions and exclusion of women veterans, I will now suggest ways to accommodate women veterans and capture the social issues present in experiences of PTSD, which medicalization notoriously neglects. First, the military needs to abandon terminology that strips women down to their biology and sets up men as the norm and women as the deviation from the norm, such as differentiating between soldiers and female soldiers. PTSD studies need to focus on women's subjects, not just control for gender, which aligns with the research agendas of the Women's Action Network, which is depicted in the photo. Additionally, VA centers need more personnel to train to handle military sexual trauma. While diagnostic categories and adherence to DSM norms remain bureaucratically necessary for veterans to gain access to VA benefits, PTSD diagnoses should still abandon bureaucratic surveys rooted in military men's experiences and instead only use a complete clinician interview that captures a larger range of individual experiences and social conditions. In fact, one study found that 25% of men and 20% of women reported that the most traumatic event experienced during deployment was personal or domestic in nature, such as going through a divorce or dealing with a family member's illness. The military version of the PCL only asks about stressful military experiences and therefore would fail to capture these domestic traumatic occurrences. Additionally, rather than ad administering medications and training that desensitize patients from thinking certain thoughts or feeling certain emotions, treatments should account for the physical as well as the emotional aspects of the lived experiences of PTSD. Encouraging the communication of grief can assist in bringing consciousness to the forefront and self-defense classes can help women veterans in developing new body habits that more effectively control responses to trauma. One study found that self-defense training reduced behavioral avoidance and arousal in women veterans with PTSD. These strategies depart from current medicalized treatments that privilege biological pathologies despite no direct evidence of neurological changes in cases of PTSD. In order to preserve women veterans' future access to PTSD care, the American Psychiatric Association, or the APA, should continue to resist the military's recent request to create an additional category for war-related PTSD called post-traumatic stress injury, or PTSI. Medical literature associates injuries with external physical forces, and so PTSI would likely require more narrowly tailored diagnostic criteria, such as needing to experience trauma as a frontline combatant, which would jeopardize women's inclusion in PTSD frameworks. After the APA rejected PTSI, the military adopted post-traumatic stress, or PTS, in internal discourses, arguing that the disorder label discouraged veterans from seeking treatment. But as the medical medicalization process exhibits, legitimizing PTSD as a disorder in the DSM grants veterans access to care and benefits. The APA resisted the military's request for PTS, likely fearing PTS would demedicalize the disorder, but the military continues to use PTS in internal dialogues. Lastly, in addition to employing PTSD, not PTSI or PTS, in both internal and external military discourses, I believe that bridging the civilian-military divide may lead to more collaborative treatment strategies for PTSD and help guarantee access to, for future suffering women. Less than 0.5% of the American population serve in today's volunteer force, and less than a dozen of the 535 members of Congress have children in uniform. 
As veterans view themselves as part of an exclusive profession and isolate themselves during their returns from deployments, society engages in a thank you for your service dialogue that avoids talking about veterans' experiences. In contrast, Israel still institutes national service and its citizens live in close proximity to war. Recent reports estimate that less than 1% of members of the Israeli Defense Force suffer from PTSD. While conditions differ for American forces, the U.S. can still assume a more communal approach to recovering from trauma. After all, veterans often experience similar traumas to their civilian counterparts, especially traumas that women categorically experience more often than men. More communal approaches to treatments for PTSD and a more collective willingness among military and civilian personnel to understand different traumas will help ensure that no experience of trauma is excluded on the path to joint recovery.